it's hard to know the right thing to say. People say random things. Often they're not helpful or they're about them. Like, oh, my mom had breast cancer. It was so hard. And then she died. And to say that to someone going through breast cancer is really horrible. Welcome to this episode of Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where our mission is simple, to make the world 10% nicer. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and today, today, we will be talking with Marnie Alaba. Marnie's the author of the funny, tender, powerfully poignant book, memoir, Mostly I Just Miss My Nipples. Marnie kicked breast cancer's ass. And her story is so damn inspiring, not, not just for those going through this incredible challenge, but there's a lot in here, a lot in the book for their friends, their family, just to know how to really support and, and when, just to give space to people going through this. Marnie's also had a very successful career as a designer and creative director, and now she's trying to change things up and become a writer. You know, so changing careers midstream, that can be tricky. We'll jump into that. We'll jump into the self-publishing game, me trying to score a date with Jessica Chastain, a dog named Todd with just one D, no less, awesome, and more. So you ready for this? You ready for, you ready for this? Okay. Here we go. Okay. All right. Okay. Focus. We're going to three, two, we're going to, you know what? Here's how we're going to start this podcast. Marnie, we're both going to, um, since we can see each other, we're going to meditate Okay, good. I did. I meditated. I I I was out there. Were you? Yep. Does this talking? I, that, I was does that interfere? Okay. Now that we're both in line, I think we can start this call. Marnie, hi. Hi. Did you like the way I started? Let me try again. Okay. <laughs> that was a little scary. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Marnie, what's going on? Hey, Todd. How are you? I'm great. How am I? I'm great. Who? I mean, who are you? Who Where do you I? live? What do you do? Why do you do it? These are the questions. We're just going to get right into it. Okay. Yeah. I am Marnie Alabaugh. I live in Los Angeles. I currently am a writer. Currently. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Because I had so many words. I had so many words and stories. Um, I'm going to read actually what you do from your site, but I'm going to do it to the music. I know. Crazy. Music. Well, I have an engineer. I hired an engineer. Okay. So, Marnie's career spans 25 years working in design, marketing, and related fields with a wide range of clients and industries. Do you get the music yet? Uh-huh. Can you hear it? It's so good. It's a good joke. Yeah. Startups and Fortune 500 companies. She can make you a list if you want one. Other jobs she has excelled at since she was 13 babysitter, travel agency delivery person, janitor, video store clerk. Aerobics instructor. This is kind of like the slow part of the song. You know what I mean? Oh, well. Fraternity and sorority party photographer, writer, teacher's assistant, the limited retail salesperson, big, huge event producer, business owner, and Girl Scout troop leader. Oh, that's such a good song. She's a certified automotive gearhead. See at Car Malarkey. You guys should see. There's a best Instagram page. Car Malarkey. Car 
M-A-L-A-R-K-Y. It's tiny haiku reviews of cars and other motorized vehicles. It's one of my favorite Instagram sites. Anyway. You. And will, when coerced, lead a crowd in belly-busting crunches. Still? Totally. Okay. And apparently she's currently known among a certain group of teenage girls as the mom who curses. And, hey, you can turn that off now, Davos. Stavros. Sorry. I forget the name of my engineer. It's Stavros Davos. Um, from Greece. Works cheap. All good. So there's a lot in there. I didn't know that you were a fraternity and sorority party photographer. Oh, yeah. Good times. Yeah. It was crazy. Where was that? University How do you get of- that job? Okay. So I wanted to be a photographer and I wanted to make money because I had to pay for college. And I noticed that all of my friends who were in sororities, I was not in a sorority, had pictures with the names of the parties. And I thought, well, someone has to be taking those. So I researched the company and I showed up with my portfolio, which was like all the pictures I took in high school to make a portfolio to apply to photography school. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, yeah, you can use a camera. Here's a camera. Here's a flash. Go to the parties. Go from like 9, 30, 10 until 11, 11, 30, because that's peak drunk time, mm-hmm. which means they're buzzed enough that they still can take a good picture. They're not sober, so they're willing to take pictures, but they're not wasted. So you get crappy pictures. And I would take pictures in the dark of people, couples, small groups, big groups. And then we'd sell them back to the fraternities and sororities. And I made like 200 bucks a night. What college was that? University of Florida. That's That sounds like a really great sort of primer for your future work at Fortune 500 companies, just in terms of like <laughs> for sure. customer relations, you know, oh. consumer desire and gratification. Uh, gratification? The personality. We'll go with gratification. Yeah. yeah gratification it was gratifying satisfaction they were so um demanding and they didn't know my name right because so they called me flash so at peak um, photo time they would just scream flash. one of us scream flash at me uh, that's the song flash save flash. Every one of- <laughs> yeah i just yeah, yeah, yeah you said it good. again i had to do it again yeah <laughs> where'd you go ah. Ah. your video froze there you go all right we are looking at each other. We're, you know, this is a video thing. So we're kind of having visual jokes. Sorry, everybody that you're not in on these. Um, but. Maybe you could describe what you're wearing to help people visualize. Oh yeah. Um, well, thanks. I am wearing, uh, well, you can't see, let me stand up. I'm wearing really great sweatpants. Oh, are those MC hammer pants? Uh, no, they're, <laughs> they're very soft. There's a hair on there. They're Navy blue. And they have a lot of, what do you call this? Gold chains and Definitely gold chains. There's a fleur-de-lis, isn't that? Isn't that a fleur-de-lis right mm-hmm. there? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of gold, a lot of gold. These were ones for Burning Man. And then I have a uh, sort of a polyester-ish jacket with a rainbow across it. It says Polaroid. Um, it's a very nice jacket. Came from the came from the Polaroid factory in the Netherlands after they shut it down. And then I have, of course, um, the Chastain, named after Jessica Chastain. Jessica, you're listening. Hi. You know, coffee, maybe one day. Uh, red, super nice club hat. Yeah. Nice. You know, she's redhead. Yeah. So. Oh. Yeah. The Chastain, right? Good, Figured good eh, probably pretty good chance it'll get me a date. For sure. For sure. I, I mean, I do live in LA. No? It's great. All right. Anyway, that's what I'm wearing. <laughs> and uh, 
So I'm glad we went down that uh, that path. Thank you. Thank you for that, Marnie. Thank you. Really, really appreciate it. So I just wanted to bring it all in together. Absolutely. Um, you spent a lot of time working as a creative director. That's where I really know you from originally. Um, your great work in that field. And you were super passionate about that for quite a while, right? I was, I mean, that so was into thing. it. That was my thing. I like went to college to be in advertising, to wear an Armani suit and talk to like big clients and be like, not the Mad Men version, but like the female Mad Men version. Mm -hmm. You could have just uh, said Mad Women. but I could have. Yeah. Mad Women sounds bad. It does. It does. <laughs> mad Men sounds cool. What is that? Uh, what is that? I know, language? right? Why, why can't women be mad, right? I think that's right, something that... Cannot. I think that's something that Hillary ran into, right? There's no madness. Um, can't be mad. Well. Yeah. Um, different conversation. But so you did that for a long time and you worked with uh, big companies. So how now now you've pretty much left that behind what was that process for you i know i'm trying to ask you to sort of condense decades but um it is interesting to look at and talk about how people devote everything they have like you said a college career uh, they get into a career and that's the passion and it aligns so nicely with their career my passion is uh creative work you know at, at the sort of corporate scale or whatever you want to call it you know i'm not a a uh, hermit painting um, in a cave. I'm out there in the commercial world doing this stuff and I'm passionate about it. And that's my job. Awesome. 100% alignment, right? So talk a little bit about the drift, you know, when that started happening for you um, and how you tried to hold it together. And, you know, over what period of time was that? How long of your 25 year arc were you aligned and how much of it was sort of starting to drift apart? Okay. Being a creative, I loved because I could help people communicate in an interesting way. I always tried to make it a funny way. That didn't always work, <laughs> but uh, it was it was fun. I loved working with the people. I loved talking about ideas. I loved talking about companies and what companies could do, what they had been doing, how they could change, how they could grow, how I could help them do that. So much fun. Um, I loved making things pretty. I loved helping people be creative. And uh, it worked for many, 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 many years. I had so many great clients. But in a for me, being a creative all the time, I felt like I was always in subjective world. And subjective world for me was a place where I would show my work, my blood, sweat, tears, agony, gah, all this many hours thinking, all this stuff, drawings, and come out with these ideas. And it was always up to the person looking at the idea, whether it was good or not, whether it was going to fly, whether they were going to buy it, right? right? Even though I knew it was the best possible solution, of course, because that I would never show something that wasn't. Um, <laughs> and it just got to be hard. It got to be hard to never make the work I wanted to make. Or, or I could make the work I wanted to make it, just no one would ever see it because it would be tweaked. The color was wrong. We need to change the thing. We need to make it smaller. We need to make it bigger. We need to change it entirely because some random person doesn't like the color purple. So it was, oh, it was like subjective land. It was, I'll know it when I see it, but I can't tell you what I want land that got to be um, hard. It got to be exhausting and it wasn't fun anymore. And so that's when I said, I, I, gotta, I gotta not do this anymore. Um, and then was that another 10 years before you stopped doing it or? 
it was probably were you did you burn out and then ah pull the plug it was a it was like a 20 percent burn over like three or four years and then it was like a hard crash to like i am 20 percent happy instead of Ooh, okay yeah 80 20 thing it, had flipped yeah it flipped yeah yeah and um and you know, I had I had a great. I was work. I've been working at home or working in my own office since, and in my own business, being my own boss since two thousand, and it was amazing. And I had my own hours, and you know, I could really. I lived a great creative lifestyle while getting paid, and it was amazing. Um, but then it just wasn't worth it anymore. Yeah, yeah so I, for those of you that that this might be a little foreign to you, working as a creative director, working in the in the design creative fields for. Um, big clients, you know, maybe this doesn't really resonate much, but I'm trying to figure out how to really put it because, you know, I've dealt with this a lot where you come in with your ideas and your team's ideas, and then they just get, you learn quickly that ultimately just give the client whatever they want, right? You just give the client whatever they want and that's fine. But there is a personal pride here. You know, you've studied the stuff, you really do have a good idea or so you hope you have that confidence uh, of what will work. And then it will get torn down by people who just aren't professionals in their field, in the same field, right? They just don't know any better. But for some reason, like you just said, I just don't like the color purple. Reminds me of Prince and I always hated that weird little guy, you know, Ugh, nothing purple. I mean, I love Prince, so like bring on the purple. But uh, it can be so frustrating because this is your passion. This is what you give yourself to. And you really do, like anybody with any career who's into your career, when you put everything you have into it, whether you're a landscaper or a doctor or a lawyer, and then somebody who uh, doesn't do what you do, doesn't share your lexicon, doesn't have your experience, just says, nah, and just kind of shits on it. It's And you have to take it. Yeah, It's demoralizing. You know, It makes yeah. you wonder like, God, I, I put all of this into all this energy, all my heart into this. And now it's just being dismissed, right? So yeah. that's kind of where that's coming from. And it doesn't matter whether you're a graphic designer, a creative director, any, whatever your career is, it just doesn't feel good. Right. And it was, um, it was just going to be a year. I was just taking a year off and it was just a, it was just a break. I just needed a break. I need to recenter and figure out why I was doing it and what I wanted to do. And I wanted to get all new clients and it turned into five years, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it lit I really intended to go back after a year refreshed you know and I was it probably took me six months to let go of the just the stuff that I had built up it's kind of like you know when you when you leave school and suddenly you can read a book that's not assigned to you mm -hmm. or suddenly you realize oh my god I don't have assignments hanging over my head it's like that feeling it takes a while to get to that place where you realize you can do things just because you want to do them. Because I had been right. living the life of the service provider in a way, you know, because which is seven days a service. week. Yeah. And it can be one in the morning. You know, yeah. it's really there, there's there's a nice thing about being able to work from home or work from friends in a little creative office. But yeah, the uh, the clients are after you round the clock, around the mm -hmm. world at all hours. And it, it's kind of a it's a, it's a continual, at the very minimum, code orange. You know, oh, there's yeah. a continual low-level stress around the clock. And then there's code red a lot. A lot. I used, to always say to, yeah. Yeah. I used to say to my staff, no one ever died from a creative emergency. 
Right. No one has but they sure act like it. The ad did not get out. The brochure. Okay, was so late. you're getting burned out. The 2080 flips to 8020, or flip that around, whatever. If you're not familiar with the 8020 rule, hmm. Google it. This will make more sense. And then you decided, hey, I've always kind of had an inkling of like writing. Maybe that would be an interesting career path. Did you think of it as a career path, or was it mostly that you had this book in mind? Which came first? Well, so I wrote the book in 2009 and I quit my clients in 2014. So mm-hmm. I, I, I wrote the book in a month and I shoved it in a drawer. Um, in a month. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote the whole book in a month. Wow. Um, and I did the national novel writing month. It was great. Not, not familiar with it. What month was, is that? Look it up. Google it. November. November. All right. Yeah. Um, it's like 1700 words a night. And I did it on the couch after my child went to bed and um, wrote like three hours, just jammed it out. So I had it there and people kept saying, what about that book? Where did, where did that book go? Aren't you going to write the book? So I pulled it back out and I said, okay, I actually have time to do this now. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to see what this could be. And the book, just backing up the book is mm-hmm. mostly, I just missed my nipples. And that is your uh, breast cancer journey memoir. Yes. Okay. Right. So wonderful book. I have read it. I have a copy. It's not autographed yet. Can't, can't get the autograph until this, the, the plague passes, but uh, you could, you could maybe like disinfect it and throw it to me. Yeah, maybe. Or I could just, you could show me what your autograph looks like and I'll just fake it. I'll just do it myself. I mean, just do it yourself, right? Whatever you want. The collector's market is easy to fool. (laughs) So did you have an inkling of being a writer as in a career before you wrote the book? Was that something that was out there for you? I did. I always wanted to be a writer. Um, in fact, in ad school, I was copywriter and, uh, that's my whole book was copywriting. And then when I got my first job at the wall street journal in the marketing department, I was marketing copy and writer and the guy I worked for, who's my mentor, who's brilliant guy, Joel Chambers. He, um, he was a brilliant writer, brilliant writer, terrible designer. So because I was a TA in the ad graphic <laughs> design department, I um hold, wait, hold. We gotta get the dog out. Todd. We don't have to. What's the dog's name? Todd. Yeah, how do you spell that? How do you spell that? T O D. How many D's? Just one. Just one. Yeah, oh, it's amazing. Rare. Super rare. Yeah, it's pretty rare. Yeah, I love. I I really love it. I really love Tod as a name with one D. It's just one D. It's it's probably just the most inspirational masculine name I've ever heard. It's it's yeah. poetic. It's, it is. Uh, I'm sorry to all the the double D Todds out there. It's just kind of weird. It's kind of weird. Why yeah. why have that extra weight? Just cut it free. You can do this. You can, I know all about legally changing your name. Okay. So you can do this. Just slice that D off. There is a breast, breast cancer joke here about D's and double D's. Double D's. I'm trying to, I'm trying to For figure sure. it out here. Yeah, let's just uh, swing it back around. Yeah, swing, swing it back, back around. around to the book. Yeah. So what I want to do is uh, I want to read about, so, okay, you're talking about your evolution as a writer. So at the Wall Wall Street Journal, he was a terrible designer. So I became the designer and he became the writer. And that was our partnership at the Wall Street Journal in the marketing department. We kicked Mm -hmm. ass and we were brilliant. And and then I just became a designer. It was on the job training. I was already inclined. 
I was really good at the applications. I had really great mentors. And so my writing became second because I could make money at the design with some writing on the side. Okay. So coming back to the writing was really lovely and terrifying. It was terrifying. And that is what I really want to talk about is that journey. Because a lot of, a lot of us have had our original life passion that we back burner for something else for a variety of reasons. You just gave us your reason. It's quite often, you know, our life passion is something that doesn't make any money or we're not in the position to monetize it to support our families. And this other thing, and if we're lucky enough, uh, Marty's drinking from a water bottle that has a super nice clip sticker on it right now. Points. It's awesome. Fantastic. Um, if we're lucky enough, the other thing that we do is something that we're also into. You're very lucky and that it was a related passion. You know, a lot of us, uh, you know, we're doing something that we don't love. And then later in life, a lot of folks think, hey, is there a way that I can get to that? How do I get back to that other passion? Is, is it even possible? A lot of people say, no, it's not, and they don't ever do it. And I'm hopefully, hopefully part of this podcast that thematically over time will help encourage people to make that leap, to make that jump, to go for whatever your original passion is. I got to tell you guys, and you, Marnie, well, you know, for years, when I go out, when I travel, I bring a little brass plaque with me that says free advice, any topic. I've seen, I think I've, I've brought it out when we had coffee. No, huh? God, well, you know me too well to even ask. <laughs> uh, but I'll bring that out and strangers will sit down all the time. And next to relationships, the number one topic that people have is uh, midlife career choice. They're like, I'm in this, it's usually I'm stuck in this job and I want to do this other thing and I don't know how to get there. And it is the number two. I've, I've done the free advice session 100 times, 200 times, more than that. And over the years, that has been it. And of course, with every person, it's a different way. But it starts with just believing you can do it and wanting to do it, right? So your bridge was, is this book. Mostly, I just missed my nipples. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, it was. And you know, the first, when I wrote the first version, I was working full time. I was a crazy workaholic. It was three years after I'd finished treatment for breast cancer. And I just added this two hours a day. And, and, you know, parents know, you know, after bedtime, I mean, it's like, there's this whole new world after the kids go to bed. And, um, I was lucky enough to be able to do that. And it was, and it was something that happened quick so I could put it away. But once I picked it back up, I thought, oh, wow, maybe this could be something. Maybe this could be a thing that people would like to read. And um, I handed it to some people and they said yes. And uh, and then it just, it was kind of like, okay, I really have no excuses now. Mm-hmm. And I just went for it. Well, I'm glad you did. I really like the book. I'm going to read the, I like to read on the podcast. It fills up time and it makes me sound smart because I'm reading smarter people's words. I'm going to read the the blurb about the book for everybody. And then we'll talk about um, your process of self-publishing this thing uh, because it is a process and it has been a process, right? Huge. So much. <laughs> How many so years? many processes. Yeah. So many years. So, this is what Marnie's book is about. This is a little blurb. Um, why me? begins this brave, witty, and different memoir about a big, fat bummer of a year spent with breast cancer. 
Two weeks after randomly placing her finger on a lump attached to her right ribs, Marnie Alibaugh found herself at her daughter's third birthday party with an ice-filled diaper strapped to her out-of-commission back, desperately trying to schedule a mammogram, her first at age 36. Spoiler alert, it's stage two-thirds breast cancer. Two, three. It says two slash three. I know. I know. I I I thought you would jump in faster. Okay. Um, So... (laughs) Filled with warmth, outrage, dark days, unanswerable questions, and unsolicited advice, mostly, I just miss my nipples, reads like a comfortable, vulnerable chat with a girlfriend over tea. Marnie openly shares emails that she sent to family and friends during treatment, MESG, Marnie's email support group, lists, uh, <clears throat> listicles of all things cancer. Listicles? Really? That's not my word. Oh. It's a friend's word. Oh, I okay. liked it. I just, I didn't, it, I just. Apparently it's huh. a thing. Yeah, other people say it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Breasts and listicles. I get it. All right. All things cancer. (laughs) Seriously. Why me? Surgery options, supplements, side effects, journal entries that she forgot she wrote. Yes, chemo brain is real. And pictures of her robo boobs and mastectomy vest of and mastectomy vest of doom. Four words I've never read before. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, She admits that she loved being bald confronts her physical deformity, worries over never having normal sex again, rails against chemically induced menopause, and relives telling her three-year-old daughter that something is wrong with mommy without cluing her into the fact that mommy thinks she might die. In the end, after detailing exactly how she thinks she has stayed alive for the last 10 years and counting, and what you should and should not do when someone you love has cancer, Marnie wraps it all up with an excellent cookie recipe and the confession that she just wants her nipples back. Written with heart and humor, through tears and laughter, this memoir will strike a chord with anyone battling, surviving, or touched by cancer. Boom. Boom. It's too it. long. I got to edit. I got to edit. Um, it's like, but, that's like, like the thing about being a writer, right? You hear your words. You're like, ah, oh, what did you write? I wait, gotta, mm. Did you write it or not? <laughs> you get a little, you got to fix this stuff. But you wrote that, right? Or wait, did you not write it? You just said you didn't write it. Oh, I did write it. I wrote the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, it was a friend's word, listicle. Yeah, I'm just hung up on listicle. I'm hung up on listicle. Just, it's a funny word. That. Yeah. I, I think listicle, it's like when you um, read like Glamour magazine and there's like 20 things you can do to make your lover more loving or like that kind of thing. And it's a list. It's a listicle. It's like mm. one of those words like yeah. literati or no. like. No, uh-uh. don't literati. like it. No. Not okay. a fan. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm being super nice about that. Just not a fan. Um, <laughs> Your book, though, and I know all of your friends sing praises because that's what friends do to friends. But man, that book, you know, it did. It made me cry. It uh, was powerfully moving, incredibly funny. And I think if I remember, it's been it's been over a year since I read. Well, I read you before it was published. You sent me a copy. And I, that was probably a couple of years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the one, what I remember the most is the sort of instructions, the, the the suggestions to people who are trying to support those going through the breast cancer battle, just the things that kind of like things you should say and things you shouldn't say, ways you should be and ways you shouldn't be. Um, because a lot of us, when we're trying to help, can be unhelpful. Through no, no, no fault of our own, we're just maybe trying to be a little too helpful. Do you remember that, what, what I'm getting at here? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a hard place to be in, to be the, the lifter upper, I think. And a lot of people don't know what to do or what to say, and they don't know how their words come off if they've never been in that position. 
So that's why I wrote the list because people said some wacky things to me. Um, people say random things. Often they're not helpful or they're about them. Like, oh, my mom had breast cancer. It was so hard. And then she died. And to say that to someone going through breast cancer is really oh. horrible. You know, I had a I had a dear, amazing friend say to me, right when I said I've been diagnosed with breast cancer, they said, oh my God, oh my God, I'm so lucky. I was like, what? 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 So, so after hearing all of these crazy kinds of things, I wrote a list of all the things you should and um, shouldn't say to someone who is, it, it, they kind of work for anyone who's suffering, but, um, you know, particularly cancer. So the process of writing the book for you clearly was probably fairly therapeutic as it was it. What was the, what was that like? In the beginning, it was therapeutic. When I picked it back up again, it became this, um, became this challenge. It became this, it's like the, it was like the mother of all art projects. It was it, it became this thing that I kept having to craft and craft and recraft and reorder and process and, and being my own client, which is hard. It's hard to be your own client. It was hard for me as a creative to meet my expectations as a type A bossy type of person with perfection issues. It was, um, it was, it was, you know, like every time I thought I was done, I would look at it again and go, it could be better. It could be better. It was like when I gave it to you or when I was, I think I was talking to you about it. I can't remember if you saw the word version. See it when I did. I, okay. So I kept saying, I can't see it. And you said, Marnie, I think you probably said it a lot more eloquently, but I remember it as you fucking idiot, you're a designer. Why don't you design a book? And then you could see it. And it was like this huge lightning strike of clarity that, oh, this isn't, this is just the middle of this project is writing the words. So then I laid out the whole thing. I set up the cover. I did a photo shoot. I put it all into a um, InDesign file. And it was like this, this amazing breakthrough. And then I printed a comp. And that was probably three years ago, four years, three, three years ago. And um, that's when it became so much more real and became so much more of a thing. It was when I could hold it in my hands, it was a, it was real. And that's, that was lovely. It was a lovely, lovely moment. And then you had to start learning about, what's that? Nothing. Then you had to start learning about publishing and that whole game, that whole world, right? And agents and trying to get attention. And that was a lot of fun, right? It was, it was a lot of research. It was interesting. And I talked to a couple agents and, um, and I, and I talked to people who had agents and I talked to people who published books and I talked to people who had agents and publishers and published books and all the different ways that you can make a book in the, um, let's call it in the, um, in the corporate way. And I kept having this, it wasn't really anxiety, but it was like this extra pressure that in my mind, an agent or a publisher was going to be just like a client. It was just going to be like what I walked away from five years ago. It was going to be someone who told me how, what they thought my book should be like and what they thought I should be saying and what they thought people wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it took a while for me to figure this out and a lot of gnashing of the teeth and just to, 
so many conversations with myself and with other people because they kept saying, why don't you just get an agent? Just get an agent, call up the agents. And, um, and you know, the last agent I talked to, she said, um, you have to realize I get pitched a breast cancer book at least once a week. And, um, and I said, well, yeah, but mine's finished. And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I wrote the whole book and I put it into a book design and I printed it. She's like, you mean you self-publish? I'm like, no, I only have one. <laughs> I said, but I, it's, it's done, done. Right. And, and it, it was almost like she wasn't getting it. And I think it's because when you write a nonfiction book, most people who do this, or a lot of people, from what I understand, is they pitch their idea. They've, they've written maybe two chapters. And I think nonfiction books work this way too. They pitch the idea. They haven't written the book. They're just trying to get it to play. They're trying to get paid for the idea and get going on it with the guarantee that someone's going to publish it and pay for it and they're going to sell books. And um, I just could not, like, it, it, it just didn't work for me, the whole thing around it. It was so stressful. And I know enough to be dangerous about printing books. I've printed books. I've been on press. I've printed a lot of things. So I knew how that industry worked. And when I found a company that would print it one off per order, I thought, well, why don't I just do this? Why don't I just make what I want to make and have someone print it for the person who wants to buy it? And, you know, self-publishing has this thing. It has like this little, it's not as prestigious. It's not as. There's definitely a stigma. Right, right. Right. It's, it's, it's like, oh, I couldn't get a publisher. I couldn't get an agent. Um, but no one ever talks about the story of, oh, I chose not to do that. You know, people just assume that if you're self-publishing, you couldn't. Um, or the number of people out there who have self-published, sold okay, and then gotten picked up for right. bidding, bidding wars because they have this finished product. Self-publishing is sort of changing a little bit now because a publisher yes. can look at it and go, oh, I get it. And you have a track record of sales. Hmm, for sure. Interesting. And suddenly you already have readers and you have readers who are willing to talk about your book and, um, and people who are you know, already interested. Is, do you think it's fair to say there's sort of a parallel with indie filmmakers who finish their film and then take it to the festivals? Yes. Right? For sure. So self-publishing, if you're out there and you want to self-publish, do it. Do it, man. It's, it's so easy. It's so easy. They even have people who will design your book for you. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not that expensive. What did you use? Did you use, you use Blurb, right? I used or Blurb. Not? Yeah, okay. I used Blurb right. to print. And that's how you yeah. can order my book now is on Blurb.com. It's a beautiful book. The cover, everything about it. It's well designed. It's a, it's a pretty book. It's a big, pretty book. It's, it's not a, always it's, pretty on the inside, but um, it's real. It's no, all it's the way super real. Pretty. Yeah. It has a pretty pink glow when you open it and you look inside. There's a look glow in the margin. People like that. People like the pink glow. So it's been out pass. Uh, it's been out for how long? It's been out. So I pressed print on December 19th. Okay. Um, so a few months and then, um, it started to, it started to kind of ramp up, start to ramp up. And I ordered a bunch of books and I had a bunch of, um, people who wanted me to come do readings and little openings and things and sell books. And, and with every sale, um, I, I give the profits away. 100% 100% of the profits away to breast cancer research and stand up to cancer. And, um, and then, and then the coronavirus happened. And so we haven't been doing a lot of parties. Um, but I think things will pick back up later. Yeah. As soon as, as yeah. soon as the virus is over, I think there'll be a huge demand for, for books about, um, 
you know, pain and suffering in the medical sure. world, right? People are like, yeah, that's what I want to get back into. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm I want to hear more no. about that. <laughs> uh, my friend, my friend did. She goes, oh, you know what? Everyone needs a plan right now. She's like, in your book, you have a plan. And I said, I, I do. You do I, have a plan. That's there's right. a chapter called The Plan. Talk but it's that. like, it's, well, for me, when I had breast cancer, I, I needed a plan. I had to, to calm myself. I, I wrote down a list of the things I had to do. So I had to, you know, get a port and I had to um, change my diet and I had to gain weight and I had to um, start chemo and I had to get a mastectomy and then I had to do radiation. And so I made a list and I could cross things off the list. And um, that was super helpful for me because once I saw the list, I realized, oh, a list is doable. Things on the list are doable. Was it a list or a listicle? It was, it was a list. Okay. It's just a plain old list. Yeah. Every, everybody listening knew that was coming. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you turned this big, vague, scary thing into something that you could list and attack piece by piece. And that helped you define the process or create a process. And once you have a process, you have a path. Once you have a path, there's a lot more optimism, essentially. Right. And and that's kind of that's kind of my mo. It's the way I operate. When I started to write the book, right before November first, which is the day I started, I wrote a list of all mm -hmm. the topics I wanted to cover. And once I had that list, the the idea of writing a book didn't seem so ominous. Mm -hmm. um, it was like, oh well, I'll just go down the list. And as soon as I finish that one on the list, I'll go to the next list or I'll go two down because the next one doesn't seem super interesting to me tonight at eight o'clock PM. Um, and I just went through the list. So and have you been I, getting much feedback yet? I know it's early days, but just from people that you don't know um, that have used the book as a source of inspiration or guidance. You know, it's funny because... Um, most of the people who have read my book know me in some way. Right. So they may not have known me during cancer. They may have met me afterwards. They may have known me from before high school friends, that kind of thing. And the first time I realized that someone I didn't know bought my book from a totally random channel, either on mm -hmm. Facebook or someone shared something or something, maybe, you know, you shared it. Super nice club shared it. But um, it was, it was like a shock to my system. I thought, Oh gosh, someone's going to, someone who doesn't know me is going to read all this stuff. And I wonder what they're going to think. I wonder how it's going to affect them. Because I feel like, you know, when people know you and they read you your book, you, they give you a little bit of, um, they give you a little play, right? They're giving you a little bit of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, forgiveness, right? They're not going to, they're not going to really judge you. But then someone who's random, I did. but you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad because sometimes you, as a creative, you need, you need, you need loving judgment. Some loving judgment is good. Um, but the first time I got on Instagram and a woman wrote, um, thank you so much. I'm getting so much inspiration from your book. And it really, it, it like turned on a little light inside my body. It just made, oh. it made me feel so great because you just don't know. It's like, you're, you know, you're, thing is going out in the world. I mean, it, when you make something for a client, I've made logos that are everywhere. I mean, mm -hmm. on signs and people, millions of people might see this logo I've made. I never cared. Right. It's just a logo, you know, it's just six words strung together. It was never such a huge thing, but um, 
So I am getting good feedback. I'm getting good feedback from people I vaguely know who surprise me. I get feedback live in person where I'm like doing something like arranging bagels at a parent coffee and and someone (laughs) will come up to me and say, oh my God, I just read your book. And I'm completely taken out of whatever task I'm doing. And I have to realign myself to the person who wrote the book about breast cancer. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a trip, man. It's like the, all still at the process, right? Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. That's so, and it's ongoing and it's so going it to be, this book will be out there for a long time. Yeah. You know, now that you've written the book and you're still in the process, you're still in the, the promotion process. It got interrupted by Corona. It will resume. You'll go through it. Um, at this point, How's your passion for writing? Do you, I, this is a memoir. So that's something that's, you can't really revisit that. Are you thinking you have more books in you? Where does it go from here professionally? So I do have more books. I have, I have a couple of nonfiction books. Um, and then I have um, a fiction book that my sister and I outlined a few years ago. That's, um, it's going to be really cool. It's good. The first thing, the first, like, paragraph you will love this starts out with prince i will love it yeah i'm gonna, gonna i'm it. pre-order i'm pre-ordering now that was, that's all i need to know yeah. starts out with prince ordering Ding. i think, I think yeah. i'm just put that in my book pitch the first five sentences have the word prince i wouldn't mind a carmelarkey book you know uh, like car haikus i yeah. wouldn't mind it you know print one for me carmelarkey book would be super fun um david david I get really mad. My partner, who was used to be my partner in our design firm, Freshbait, David Wishart, he writes, he he goes off topic with the haiku. I'm super structured with my haikus. I mm-hmm. love the structure of a haiku in the same way I love paint by numbers, in the same way I love Legos with an instruction book. I love, as a creative, I love someone just giving me rules where I can mindlessly do a task that ends out to be pretty cool. And mm-hmm. that's what haiku for me is that. Right. But like like you, you do free format haikus. You always tell me a haiku could be anything. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> there, are, there are rules and there are non-rules to haiku. If you're interested in haikus, Google it. It's not necessarily strictly a 575 structure. But you and David write different styles, which is what I think is so great about it. Because there's yours, boom, boom, boom. And even if you don't know Marnie and David, it doesn't matter. There's like this straight style. And then there's this like, whoa. That one's yeah. different and weird and off point, you know, and then, and, and they're all great, but you have to be a car geek to really get it because we're talking about loving a 1986 Toyota Celica because of what it is, you know, in, in, and its setting. And, you know, if you don't have a, it's hard. I'm not even, that's a different, we'll bring you back on with it's, David for that one, because so, I'll geek so, out on that forever. Oh my God. So many cars. So you have more books in you. That's great to hear. Um, when are you going to get started on that? No pressure. I don't know. In my mind, I would have been in 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 the final stages of marketing. Mostly, I just miss my nipples, and mm-hmm. and it would kind of be autopilot right now. But it's it's a little backed up. So I intended on the suspicious day of April first, which is the day David and I started Freshbait, many 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 two thousand. Um, it it was the day I was going to start writing my book, my next book. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not feeling it right now. Um, I feel like there are other important things I have to do just in the time we're in, just to take it easy. I'm writing in a journal a lot. Um, 
but I haven't, um, I haven't pulled out my files with my book outlines quite yet. Um, Let me know when you do. I want to know what you're up to. That's for sure. This is the part where we get into the challenge, the super nice challenge for super nice club members or just nice work listeners who just by listening to this podcast, you're jumped into the super nice club, like it or not, you're in. So what we do with this challenge is our esteemed guest will issue a challenge, something that we all can do to just try to be a little bit nicer. Marnie, what do you got? My challenge is for you, dear listeners, to write five thank you notes to five different people. Handwritten in an envelope would be my preference, but you can write an email, you can type a text, you could send a voice memo, and um, one of them has to be someone in your family, and one of them has to be someone who is no longer with us, and the other three are just free flow. But just thank, wow. thank some people. Yeah. Thank five people, challenge. including one who is no longer with us. That's yeah. That's a great one. I did that. Um, right. I did that one time, and it's um, it's super healing and cathartic, and um, just you know, write it and then put it in a drawer. So five thank you notes. I'm going to do it. If you do it, let us know what you think. Let us know how it went. Um, on Facebook, post your proof to socials. Tag us. Email us. Anything. Uh, what's your What's your uh, Instagram, Marnie? All things my Marnie. Instagram is all things Marnie, or mostly I just miss my nipples. At all things Marnie, Marnie, M-A-R-N-I-E, all things Marnie. So yeah, do the challenge. Let us know how it went for you. If it's if you had a really profound experience, love to hear about it. And we will talk about it in the next podcast. And anything the members of the Super Nice Club can do for you besides go out and buy your book? Be no, nice just, to each other? You know, keep being super nice. Write thank you cards. Thank you cards are awesome. Thank Write you cards are awesome. Write a thank you card to yourself. So we're adding. So now there's six. Or, or that Just could be, be one clear. of your five. That could be one of your five. Okay. Uh, I'm going to okay. make it six. 10% okay. nicer. That's yeah. when we go to six. Is that 20%? <laughs> oh, we're going to make a big leap. That's okay. I'm not good at math. <laughs> do you have a question for me? I do have a question for you. Can you please tell me how the idea of the Super Nice Club came to you? Oh, oh boy. Um, the, like the true story or like the, the marketing story? The true story. This is truth. Oh, okay. The true story is kind of strange. Um, takes a minute. Let me try to figure out how to run through it. Okay, so a few years ago, I was in the backyard of my home in Santa Rosa, California, and I was weeding. And when I weed, I really get into my own head. I, I uh, tell like little stories um, to myself, or like I'm as I'm weeding, I'm I'm keeping track of how many I'm taking out and it's like an army between it's a battle between the armies of the weeds and my finger. I don't know. It just gets weird. I get into a headspace. told you this is going to take a while. So I'm weeding and all of a sudden I'm seeing this story unfold in front of me um, amongst the weeds with the weeds. I don't know. You know, you get daydreams. They're visual. And there's this young girl. She's about seven years old or something like that. And there, and this isn't, I'm just going to caveat. This is not pro or anti-religion. This is just what happened. This is just a story. So this young girl is approached by her parents and they bring um, a religious person, a priest or vicar, vicar. What is a vicar? I don't know. Anyway, somebody from the the religious world um, 
as a religious studies major, I'm really failing this part. And they bring it to her and uh, he kneels down. He says to her, hey, do you want to join our club? Um, he's trying to get her into the church, you know, and he explains to her that they have this, this superhero leader named Jesus and he can do all these amazing things and he's incredible. And she's like, wow, that sounds really cool. You know, she's seven. She's like, okay, yeah, I'm in. And this, she starts going to church. And then flash forward a few years, she's, you know, 10, 11, 12, something like that, old enough to be pretty smart. Um, and she's starting to see some inconsistencies. She's starting to see people in the church, friends of the family get divorced. She's starting to see people being mean to each other. She's a little bit aware of world events. And she goes to the priest and she's like, ah, you know, I don't, this doesn't feel right. You know, you're preaching this, but this is happening, you know, on the other side. And more or less, he says, God works in mysterious ways. It's all good. And she's like, okay. Then she becomes a teenager and she's just, one day she has enough. She sees, you know, the Catholic church abuse. She sees war in the world. She sees her parents breaking up, whatever. I don't remember the details, but she's just like, this whole church thing doesn't work for me. Not only this church thing, but that church over there, the Baptists, the, uh, uh, you know, Islam, like everybody's fighting and everybody's full of shit. You know, they're not really living the word. So she says, I'm going to start my own club. I'm going to start my own club and anybody from any religion can be in it. It's going to be the biggest club in the world. And all you have to do, the only thing you have to do to be in it is be super nice. I'm going to call it the super nice club. And so I put down my little weeding implements. And I'm like, that, damn, that's a good idea. I like that. I know that sounds weird, but that's exactly how it really went. So I got up, I went into the house. I sat down behind my laptop, uh, and as the powerful professional designer that I'm not, I came up with uh, a logo, the Super Nice Club logo, and I sent it to my dear friend, Caitlin, who is an actual designer, and I said, hey, I'm just kind of having a random moment here. I want to have this logo. Look, I want it to look kind of 70s goofy and imperfect, not too polished, but you know, have energy kind of like this. Can you do this, but better? And about an hour later, she sent it back, and she said, you know what? This is a janky logo, but it's perfect for what you described to me. She said, I wouldn't touch it. I'm like, okay, cool. So then I went on to Facebook. That's the one you're showing in the camera. Uh, I went to Facebook. I started a group called Super Nice Club and invited some friends. And it was just kind of a lark, just kind of for fun. But I did make one foam hat off of like Zazzle or something just to wear around myself. I gave it away at a party uh, about a month later as a, just a party gift. And, uh, the, the woman who got it posted it on Instagram, like a, a party photo with that hat. And then some people started asking about the hat. So then I ordered like 10 hats. Those people got those more people asked. I did another order of 50 hats. Those, then I was selling them because they were costing me money. It's like, I can't just those 50 sold another 50 sold. Then I ordered a hundred, then 200. And then the club started to grow out of this logo and out of this idea and I started to, you know, get more serious about it because it was people were just responding to the idea of being nicer. You know, they really were. And that's kind of how it started. That's the whole great. thing. It's that's a great story. club. That's a pretty, nice club. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I have one last question for you. Okay. Um, and uh, you said that you had a story um, about a concert you went to once. <laughs> you want to tell it? <laughs> I'm going to circle it back. I'm going to circle it back to the University of we Florida. We can edit it out. We <laughs> did not do it. 
Okay, Stavros. Stop. Good buddy. Stavros. Turn it down, buddy. Turn it down. Okay. Thanks. So, Gainesville, Florida. 1990, perhaps. Two Live Crew. They were fun. Two Live Crew concert. You went to yeah. a Two Live Crew concert. I went to a Two Live Crew concert with my That's girlfriends. Amazing. One of my girlfriends was, was from Miami. A big population at University of Florida from Miami at the time. Because there, you just go north, right? If you're in Miami. You go to the University of Miami. You go to Gainesville. You go to Tallahassee. Or you just keep going out. So we went to the co- we went to the concert. And we had our outfits on. We had our tiny skirts and our tiny tops. And... We were there dancing and we kept, you know, it's, a, we were getting harassed. We were getting like bumped and poked and grinded on and, and, uh, shocker. shocker. At a two night crew concert. It, it's what, uh, you know, we were 20 <laughs> and we were like, okay, didn't know this is super fun. We're dancing, but this kind of sucks because, you know, we can't really stand. And, um, these guys, these amazing, amazing, brave, ginormous football players said, you guys, what are you doing here? You you guys, <laughs> like, what are you doing here? Because we were up by the stage. Like, we need to protect you. So five guys got around us and formed this, like, little half circle around us. And they were kind of, you know, I mean, like, giant University of Florida football players. They don't, like, dance. Like, they're just, like, bobbing their heads, right? And we are, like, right. dancing like crazy in the middle. And it was, it was insane. It was so wild. You know, it was, like, the full-on show with the dancing girls on the stage and... And it was, it was something I wish you I were I really wish... disappointing Tipper Gore at that point, by the way, did you know that? I didn't, I didn't like Tipper Gore at that time. Oh, okay. Sorry. Tipper. But now we all, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now, now I, I know, know you better. I just want, I just, you, I, I think that's, it's, it's, it's a fun, it's a, it's a visual for me. That's all a two live crew concert. Marnie's at it with five football players surrounding her with a oh, friend okay. dancing. If my daughter hmm. like called me from college and said, "Mom, I went to a two live crew," I think my head would pop off. <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah. I think rightly so. But I think my well, parents would have no idea. Oh, Your parents sorry. had no. Okay. Do they now? I don't. I don't know if they even know who Two Life Crew is. Hmm. I don't I'll know if that many me. people know who Two Life Crew is at this point. Mm-mm. Yeah, so we'll find out. Marnie, Marnie, Marnie. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Appreciate you telling us about your process, uh, your process of getting the book out, which can be found at allthingsmarnie.com. It's in the show notes too, but um, allthingsmarnie.com is the best place just to go and find your book. Is that right? That is true. Yeah. All right. There's a big so, button that says buy the book. If you're listening, go to allthingsmarnie.com, check out the book. If it's not something for you, everybody listening to this knows someone infected by affected by breast cancer, every single one of you. So this is a book that can have real value, therapeutic value to not just the people who are going through the actual treatment, but their friends and family, their friends and family. This is a book now that I've read it, the next person that is in my circle that goes through this, I'm better prepared to be a friend and to be supportive because of, because of your book. So I highly recommend picking up a copy and all the proceeds go to breast cancer research and awareness nonprofits, correct? Yes. 100%. All right. We're going to yep. end on that. Thank I you. I will that see was... you in person after the plague has passed. After the plague. Here's to that. And there you have it, folks. A super nice conversation with super nice Marnie Alaba. Now it's time for the super nice takeaways. We've got a few. First one, 
self-publishing. If you've thought about it, go for it. Just do it. It's incredibly fulfilling to get that book done and out into the world, even if you're just making one copy. And if you're a member of the Super Nice Club, Marnie would be happy to share her tips with you, her tips on self-publishing and what she went through. If you're not a member, she'll probably be happy to share her tips too. So also that, that two hours bedtime thing that she mentioned, did you catch that? Looking for the time to dive into your passion? Just give up TV, give up the internet, replace it with working on the passion, that next career, that book script, painting, those law books, whatever it is, two hours a day is, is half what most of us waste on screens every night. Number three, how to talk to people who are battling cancer, or battling serious illness, how to be supportive and, and not be an accidental burden. That was my big takeaway in reading Marnie's book. Mostly I just missed my nipples. And it's really so worth picking up a copy of the book just for that. And if, that, if you think that is kind of like a sales pitch, it is. So get a copy of the book. Also, I realize now that when I said I'm weeding when talking about the the inspiration for the super nice club might have sounded like code for getting stoned no it wasn't i really meant just using my hands to pull invasive plants out of the ground in my backyard in santa rosa that's all i meant a triple promise so don't forget to subscribe to nice work wherever you get your podcast and most definitely leave a review even better than that leave some feedback we'd love to hear from you so message us on facebook instagram Facebook, 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 Instagram, plain old email, Todd, T-O-D, 1-D, at supernicelub.com, or call me directly via the nice line at 707-500-1580, 707-500-1580. And please, to be a member of the Super Nice Club, all you have to do is follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Try to be a little bit nicer. If you want to represent with some super sweet super nice street fashion, some sweet, super nice street fashion. Yeah. Head over to superniceclub.com and use discount code supernicemarnie, M-A-R-N-I-E, for 15% off. Stay nice, everyone. Talk to you next week. You. Yeah.